So I'm joined here today by the retired Major General in the Irish Defence Forces, Kieran Brennan. Thank you so much for speaking to KCLR this morning, all the way from Germany, I believe. Yeah, currently in Germany, visiting my sister here in Hamburg, and uh, unfortunately it's a bleak day here, but um, weather-wise. So look, um, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that has been one that spanned for decades. I mean, if we look back to 2014, I believe that was the last time discussions were held between Israel and Palestine, right before there was a breakdown in peace talks. Why is that then, considering the very turbulent history, is there such shock and surprise as to what happened over the weekend? So I suppose the biggest surprise, of course, is that this was the deadliest attack in the history of Israel, with over 900 Israelis killed, unprecedented in, in the extent you know, he, he invokes memories of what happened to the Jewish people during the Second World War. In fact, the death of 250, uh, you know, uh, uh, concert goers, you know, invokes memories of whole villages being wiped out by the uh, Enzyme Group and the Nazi death squads during the Second World War. That's why it, is so, it has been so shocking for Israel and indeed for the entire world. So this history and conflict between Israel and Palestine is not as black and white as people are making it out to be. Both sides have carried out terrible acts during this conflict. Yeah, so secondly, this conflict is, is 75 years. There were two conflicts. There was, two, there was the Israeli-Arab conflict, which has effectively been resolved re- really between the, uh, Israel and most of the Arab neighboring states. The first state to sign a treaty with Israel was Egypt in 1979. However, the Palestinian conflict, that conflict between the indigenous people of Palestine and the Israelis themselves, has never been fully resolved. And despite extensive efforts at negotiations, uh, right up to, you said, 2014, but, I mean, it, it, it seems intractable, and there doesn't seem to be any will on the part of the current Israeli government, which is very right-wing, to effect any changes to put in place a, a, a lasting peace treaty that would give the Palestinians uh, their own state. So if you look back to the events of the weekend, um, Hamas argues that the attack on the music festival um, where they killed hundreds of people and took a number of hostages, that was in direct retaliation to the Israeli occupation and also the atrocities carried out by that right-wing government. However, this attack um, at the weekend, that was on civilians, that wasn't on the, the government as such. Yeah. There is no excuse. I mean, this was a, an act of barbarism uh, uh, against uh, innocent men, women. And you, can, you have to visualise... Uh, Hamas militants going into a village, uh, say for example, if you want to draw an analogy with say uh, Freshman for example, and, and, and taking people out of their homes, dragging them across the border killing them in their homes and, and uh, uh, keeping them hostage it's unprecedented the manner of which this was done. The, 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 in, in my lifetime the only equivalent would be the, 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 the massacres carried out by the Christian militias in the refugee camp in, in Beirut in 1982 uh, where over a thousand men, women and children were killed by the Christian militias. So this is really unprecedented. And of course, the fact that they've taken hostages adds an added layer of complexity to the issue now going forward. And also just to even say the fact that you were based over, I believe, in Tel Aviv um, for a period of time. How does it feel to know that people you lived and worked alongside are experiencing atrocities like this? Well, I didn't. I, I, I would have visited uh, our Defence Forces personnel in in Israel on a number of occasions, I would have I would have been in at, uh, in meetings in various places around around Israel. Uh, but the one thing that I always that I always noted from speaking to Israeli military and political personnel was their fear of of an incursion similar to what Hamas did in the south of Israel. But the incursion that they expected was from Hezbollah in northern Israel. In other words, an incursion from Lebanon into northern Israel, where a town and village might be attacked. I don't think they ever expected. Hamas to do what they did and the manner in which they did it. 
but and also the, the, the intelligence failure in respect of all the, the key agencies in Israel, and indeed the Americans, not to pick up on this, that this was coming down the track. It's extraordinary. It's probably the largest military intelligence failure in history. It even surpassed, in my view, 9-11 and, uh, and Pearl Harbor. Because in both of those incidents, there were certain indicators picked up that those events were going to happen. But in this case, there seems to be no indication that this is going to happen. And are there any ideas as of yet um, how Hamas did breach um, the Israeli um, security forces? Well, it, it would seem, from what I've I read over the last 24 to 36 hours, that, that Hamas played a very, very, uh, what we call a cute game for the last two years. They didn't conduct many attacks on the Israelis. They lulled the Israelis into a false sense of security. They allowed the people, the Gazians, out of uh, Gaza into Israel to continue uh, their work and all the rest of it. So Israel, the Israeli authorities presumed, based on what I've read, that everything was calming down. And even Jacob Sullivan, one of the chief security experts in the current Biden administration, spoke only eight days ago about the Middle East being as calm, calmer than it has been for years. So my view is that they were lulled into a false sense of, of security, and which, which unfortunately erupted in, in, into ferocity last Saturday morning at 2 o'clock when the rockets uh, started flying out of Gaza, and then the militants attacked across the, the, the barriers that the Israelis had put in place. And of course, the Israeli government have now retaliated. So they put the Gaza Strip, um, which is a Palestinian area, under siege. They're not allowing food, electricity, water into the area. Um, what would the conditions be like for people living under the siege? Well, I, 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 many, many years ago, I remember being in Gaza and, and, and staying in Gaza. And it was a lovely place. It was, it was, it was, you, could, you could walk on the beach. Uh, but it has now been transformed into a, into a you know, a, certainly... Uh, an, an area that is completely covered, covered up by the Israelis from land by land, sea and air. I can only imagine what the the conditions are going to be like inside in uh, in, in Gaza going forward, without all of the essential uh, necessities of life, as you say, water, electricity, and sewage that's going to allow a population of over two million to survive. There's a huge the, the ferocity of the airstrikes at the moment suggests to me that the Israelis are intent on dismantling and destroying Hamas. But to do that, they're going to have to send power forces into, into Gaza. And, and, and fighting in built-up areas is a hugely, a hugely costly affair. The advantages that the Israeli Defence Forces have in the context of their armour, their mobility, etc., will be, will, be, will be considerably reduced when they're brought into that particular environment. So I, I fear for the people of Gaza, particularly in respect of what Netanyahu was saying about exacting a huge revenge on Hamas for this. And obviously that, that probably, um, as someone who's been over there and worked over there, that probably puts a lot of fear into you as you understand how um, extreme this response may be from the Israelis. Absolutely. I mean, I know that, I mean, I'll be frank about it, Israelis don't do proportionality very well. I saw the level myself. Just to give you an example, uh, you know, for example, uh, and on three occasions, 2006, 2009, 2014, there were similar conflicts uh, between the Israelis and Gaza. In 2006, 11 Israelis died. 102 Palestinians died. In 2009, 14 Israelis died and 1,500 Palestinians. And in 2014, 73 Israelis died and 2,500 Palestinians. So that's the proportionality the way Israeli, the, uh, from the Israeli perspective. Uh, but all of this, by the way, uh, actually, you said at the start, like, where did this come out of? This has come out of years of pent-up frustration by the Palestinians in respect of a number of issues. You know, the inability to, to, to have their own state, the continued development of, uh, of Jewish settlements on the West Bank, uh, what the, what, and really the, 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 the mortal sin really is the, is the Israeli encroachment onto the Alaska compound in Jerusalem, 
which is hugely problematic for the Muslim people. And all of these have come together to bring this on these savage events of the last couple of days to fruition. And to go back to what you mentioned there, just about the proportionality, um, Ireland, Denmark and Luxembourg, they pushed for the EU to call for an avoidance of escalation in violence um, by the Israelis um, following the attack by Hamas. Other EU countries didn't push for that. They wanted to take a more um, stance with the Israelis and come out and condemn the Palestinian attack. Um, why is Ireland taking a more neutral approach um, in comparison to the other countries? Well, consistently, Ireland have had a have, a, have had a different approach to the Palestinian challenges that the, that the people of Palestine have faced for many, many years. They, they have had a more benign approach to uh, the problems faced by the Palestinian people and their aspiration to have a have a homeland. Uh, I suppose the fact of the matter is, I, I would suggest you actually think that in the coming days and weeks, as the Israeli attacks on Gaza mount up, uh, and, and certainly if they, if they if they actually go in with ground forces. I, I would think the international community will, will come together and, uh, and clamour for a ceasefire of some sort. Because if, if not, there will be huge collateral damage to the people of Gaza, particularly the innocent people who kind of are caught up in this conflict. And obviously, um, some EU countries are now, they've all um, are voted for withdrawing aid from Palestine. Um, I know this is obviously to try and stop the conflict, but at the same time, you think about the civilians that are trapped there, um, that's going to directly impact them, and especially with the airstrikes coming in. Um, is that not going to get in the way of helping these civilians rather than actually hindering the government and hindering Hamas? But the fact of the matter is that you've got to understand that Israel have complete control of, of the borders now of Gaza. Effectively, I mean, once the, I, I presume they've, 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 I understand that they've killed over 1,500 Hamas militants, terrorists who came into their territory. So they now have control of the land border, the absolute control of the sea border, and they have absolute air superiority. So, the, I mean, anything that, 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 that anybody who wants to bring in aid to, to can only do so at the whim of Israelis, I would, I, I would consider at this juncture. So... It's within the Israelis' remit, whether or not uh, aid, whether it's food, whether it's turning on the water, whether it's turning on electricity, will happen. Uh, and uh, I believe that there's such an air of vengeance out there at the moment in respect of what Hamas did that it's going to take a couple of weeks, if not months, to resolve this issue. And Tanisha Michal Martian was recently visiting the Middle East and he was trying to rekindle support for what is called a two-state solution. So that would be obviously Israel and Palestine having their own states. Um, do you think this vengeance on the Israeli side, as you spoke about just there, do you think that will stop um, anything like this ever happening? Well, first of all, what I say, asking is it should be clearly understood that every state has the right to defend itself when it's attacked. And Israel was attacked, and their citizens were attacked last Sunday, uh, Saturday morning. And notwithstanding the horrors that we see now unfolding in Gaza, Israel has that right. It's all about proportionality. And I think that uh, like Ireland have tried uh, diligently throughout the years to try and get uh, both sides to agree to a two-state solution. Ultimately, it will be the Americans who will put the pressure on, the, on, on, on all the stakeholders to achieve this objective. I mean, significant progress has been made. I mean, Israel and, and, and Saudi Arabia, by all accounts, to what in the past would have been sworn enemies are, 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 are on, the, on, on the pathway to signing a, a peace agreement. So if that happens, everything is possible. But the, the continued presence of, 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 of sorry, sorry, the Jewish settlements in the West Bank, and I, I've seen them, they're substantial, they're dotted all over the place, means that the viability of, 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 a, of a, a Palestinian state is, is being undermined continuously by the building of these particular settlements. And, uh, and of course, the, the problem now is the settlers, the settlers are becoming more and more militant and are attacking local people. And this is adding to the angst of Palestinian people. And also, I, I, that's part of the reason why this attack happened.
And finally, um, we have members of the Irish Defence Forces that are currently serving in Israel. I think they're acting as UN observers. And we've had confirmation yeah. from the Defence Forces this morning that they're all safe and well and they're complying with our UN security precautions. Um, what would their role be like over there? So essentially, um, Irish Defence Forces have been involved in, in an organisation called UNCLOS, United Nations Truth Supervisory Organisation, for the last 50, 60 years. These are unarmed observers and they're, uh, they're operating in Lebanon, in Syria and in, in Israel. The headquarters of this particular organisation is based in Jerusalem. My son was there for, for, for two years, just came back in March this year. So we, we, the, the Irish Defence Forces within Israel itself would have people based in that headquarters and then would have people based up in, uh, on, on the Golan Heights. So essentially, they're, they're a long way away from the conflict at this juncture. But in saying that, I know that Jerusalem has been targeted by some of these rockets. So fingers crossed, they, they will remain safe out there. And will they be moved towards um, kind of the epicentre of the conflict if that was to, to get worse? Once so, it, 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 it was, was set up following a number of the Arab-Israeli wars in, in the past, designed to monitor the peace process to see there was no violations in respect. So they're more focused on the eastern borders of, of Israel up along the Golan Heights and the northern border along Bob. So it, some of our observers would be on the, on the border with Lebanon and, and Israel. And that, is, that, that would become significantly problematic for them if Hezbollah decides to launch any attack into Israel, because then some of our, and indeed the battalion in Lebanon would be, would be in, in, in the area where Hezbollah would be firing the rockets from. So that would become hugely problematic, but hopefully it won't come to that. Thank you so much for your time. Kilkenny, Carlo, KCLR.